0: You are listening to a sermon from Emmaus Church LCMS. For more information, please go to www.emmauspasco.org. Grace and mercy and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. In J.R. Tolkien's book, The Return of the King, There is a scene in which a character named Gollum, or Smeagol, has an argument with himself. This unfortunate creature, you may have seen this scene in The Return of the King, the film, has, well, two kind of identities, kind of a split personality disorder. Both of these identities are, well, they're set on one thing, getting the one ring back. But they're not exactly sure about how to do it. And at the one particular scene in the book, Gollum has an argument with Smeagol. They go back and forth, the same character, in the same mind, about whether or not they should betray Frodo, their master, or whether they should follow him. And this is kind of a humorous and kind of terrifyingly sad scene, as Gollum and Smeagol debate with one another. Two minds, two wills, trapped in one body together. Now, this kind of creates this, this example for a question of what do we do with the fact that Jesus seems to not will what God wills in our gospel lesson? He says it three times, and in biblical terms, three times means you're really sure about something. Not thy, my will, but thine be done. How is that possible? Is not Jesus God? How does he have a will that's different from what God wills? And does that mean he's a sinner? Does Jesus have a sinful human will? Is he actually rebelling against God? What do we do with this passage when it says that Jesus clearly, simply, baldly says that Jesus wills something other than the Father wills? Now, this is only a problem because for Christians, that is Christians who believe that Jesus Christ is God's son, that he is truly God and truly man. This is your first blank on your your sheet. The Christians, to be a Christian is to believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and that as your Lord, he is God's son, truly and fully God, truly and fully human. This is the question I want to take up today. Are there two wills in Jesus? And and, and as soon as I heard it, I got excited because it gives me a chance to do something I love doing, which is talk about Christology, talk about the the finer points. And I want to do a shallow dive with you today. I am going to do my best to keep it succinct and accessible, but I want to do a shallow dive with you into the problems that have occupied church theologians for centuries because they are the church thinking and reflecting on this mysterious identity of who Jesus is and and why his identity is profoundly good news. So let's start with the basics. He's God's son, truly and fully God, truly and fully. Well, why does the church think this? There's a whole bunch of reasons why the church thinks this. But to to give you something accessible that you can latch on to, John 1, 1 sums it up real nicely, right? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And then verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. All right, so this word, that is someone who was God and yet was kind of also distinct from God in the beginning, who was there when he created all things, has become flesh. So when we talk to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, we're talking also to this word, who was with God, who was God. So Jesus is fully divine and fully human. Now, theologians talk about the word nature, two natures. That is, he has a divine nature and a human nature. And a nature is just a, a, kind of a philosophical term for the stuff that, that it is to be something. So let's make it simple. A human nature. It means having a body, having a mind, having spirit, having uh, feelings, as we talked about with the kids, being in everything, a human nature is, well, everything that it means to be you. And when we say that Jesus has a human nature, we're saying he was human in the same sense that you are human, finite, spatially located person, right? You cannot be here and also be in Romania at the same time because you're human, which means you're located in one place. That's easy enough to grasp. Jesus was a dude who wandered around Galilee, who came to Jerusalem, who got himself killed. Sounds like something that a human could potentially do, right? But at the same time, Jesus is fully God. That is, he has a divine nature. What's the things that are appropriate to being divine? Well, things like being present everywhere at the same time. Things like knowing all things. Things like being infinite and having all power and wisdom and might. Things like being eternal. That is, humans, humans start. We came into the story somewhere. There was a time before you existed, right? You were all born. You were conceived. And then before that, there was nothing that was you. No such thing with God. God is eternal, unbegotten. He's always been. So some ta- somehow, this person, Jesus, is both fully divine, everything that it means to be divine, and everything that it means to be man. With one exception. Without the corruption of sin. This is actually to help you understand this. Think about Adam. As Adam is created before the fall, that's how Jesus was made. Uncorrupted human, right? Now, this at least sounds easy enough to say. He was fully divine, fully man. But it's important to recognize this is a deep mystery. It's called the mystery of the incarnation, which we celebrate at Christmas. This is blank number three. And and this mystery runs very deep, and it it, it kind of it stretches our language in in ways that are kind of hard sometimes to understand. The mystery of the incarnation is the complete sharing of both natures, divine and human, in the one person Jesus. Okay, well, well, what does this really mean? Well, neither of them is destroyed. Jesus doesn't stop being human; he doesn't stop being divine. The human nature is, is, is brought into the divine nature, and yet it remains truly itself. It doesn't get turned into something else. And theologians call this the communication of attributes. You don't have to remember that. I didn't put it on your blank. But that means that all the attributes of being human are shared with the attributes of being God in this one man, Christ. So here's some things we can say. In Jesus Christ, who is both God and man, God dies. You cannot say that about God by himself. God cannot die. He's immortal by definition. But in the man Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man, God dies. Here's some other things you can say. God uses the restroom. The church actually argued about this and and tried to figure out, did Jesus actually use the restroom? Yes, because humans do. It's part of what it means to be human. You can say that God is tired and hungry or that God was born, that he came out of the body of another person Mary. So Mary is the mother of God, right? Because she's the mother of Jesus Christ who is fully God and fully man. And in case that all kind of sounds normal, we say a lot of that stuff at Christmas time. Here's some other fun things. The humanity of Jesus, his body, his spatially locatable self, the way he's available to other people, that can be many places at once, right? It can be at an altar here and in Romania at the same time and still be a body. Now, hopefully that tells you just how weird and how confusing, and how mysterious this is. And if this all seems kind of obvious and ho-hum to you, pastor, why are you dragging us through this again? Then, then t- take a moment, let's all say a prayer of thanksgiving for theologians. I'm very grateful for them. Because what seems obvious to you is not at all obvious to someone outside the Christian community, someone who hasn't been trained and taught and raised in, in a deep understanding of who God is and who Jesus is. And it's because it stretches the bounds of language. It's a mystery that we can say that it is true, but we can't say a lot more than that. We can try to speak in ways that God gives us to speak, but if we, if we try to venture too much, we, wound up, we wind up saying things that we really actually shouldn't say. And a lot of the history of the theology is, is people trying to say more than they're actually given and getting this wrong in one way or another. So what I want to do now is to kind of go through in point number four, kind of a, a, a very succinct history, a shallow dive, that is into the Christological problems. Ways Christians have, or people who are both Christians and not Christians, have gotten this wrong, to help you see just how weird it is. The first one is docetism. This is very early in the church. Some good Greek philosophers said um, the body is where people die. The body is where you are subject to evil and corruption. God has nothing to do with bodies. Bodies are bad. Bodies are the creation of lesser beings. So there is no way that a God who is true and right and perfect and good could become a body. Nope, not can't happen. Jesus, well, so what do we do with the, the dude Jesus who wandered around Galilee and got crucified? Well, he only seemed to be human. He was God kind of appearing like a human, but he didn't actually take humanity into his nature. That's called docetism. That is, Jesus only seemed to be human. So whenever someone kind of, well, talks like Jesus isn't actually fully human, they're, they're losing this human nature of Jesus. Another guy comes along named Arius. And he's like, you know what? The human thing, that's easy to get. But the whole God part, you guys need to think a little bit more deeply about what it means to be God, because God is one. And if there's multiplicity in God, then there's, then there's a problem. And so because God is one, Jesus, who prays to his father, can't also be God, right? Because that would break God's oneness. So therefore, Jesus cannot be God. He cannot have a divine nature. He must be like a, a super powerful angel right? He has to be a created being. That's Arius. And the church responded to this problem with the creed we're going to confess after this sermon, that Jesus, the Son, is fully God. He's God from God, light from light, very God of very God, one substance with the Father. That is, whatever it means to be God, means that's who Jesus is. But in the church after the Nicene Creed, there's still a lot of thinking about this. How exactly do these two natures, divine and human, work together? There's a guy named Nestorius. You're not going to be quizzed on this, so don't take a deep breath. You're not going to be quizzed on this. Nestorius, who said, okay, yeah, there's divine and human nature, fully God, fully man, but they're not really truly united. They're like oil and water in a a cup, right? They're there. They're together. They're touching, but they're not not united. They don't actually share. Or two boards nailed together. So we shouldn't, Nestorius said, Nestorius got real upset when the church started calling Mary the mother of God, because that would be inappropriate. She's the mother of Jesus' human nature, not the mother of his divine nature. So we, we don't want to say, and to say that God died, mm, no, that's not real right. We, we got to say his human nature died. And so Jesus becomes this kind of split personality. And you're never really sure who you're, ta- if you're talking about, divine Jesus or human Jesus. Now, Eutyches said, no, that's all wrong. The divine and human nature, they, mi- they are so closely united, they're mixed together. That you can't, they're, they're not even the same thing anymore. Now they're something new. They're a third thing. So for Eutyches, Jesus is not... Really, fully human anymore he's kind of like captain america times god he's he's kind of a superhuman who doesn't really actually have his feet on the ground and church said no 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 he's still the two natures remain distinct so then apollinaris says, says a guy named apollinaris says all right here's how this works the human nature provides the body and the mind but the divine nature the sun it provides the soul so Jesus is kind of like a human puppet, and, this, and the son is the hand inside operating his soul. And church said, nope, because in verses like we just read, Jesus' soul is troubled. And in the son, divine son, his soul can't be troubled. So finally, we get to the monothelites. And these are the guys we have to deal with today with this question of Jesus' one will. And they said Jesus had a human body and human soul, but they only had, he only had one divine will. Because it's impossible for Jesus to want contrary things. That's not okay. That would be like Smeagol and Gollum. Two different wills trapped in one person. And Jesus would constantly be arguing with himself as to what he wants to do. And through all of this, and if this all, it does all blur to you, and you want to check back in, let me give you how the church answered it. Because it's delightfully complicated in the problem. The solution was simple. And it's one basic principle. Point five. Any aspect of our humanity whether that be our will, our reason, our body, anything, any aspect of what it means to be human, that Jesus did not assume, then that part of our humanity was not redeemed. So if Jesus didn't have a rational mind, he had this, then our rational minds are not redeemed. If Jesus didn't really have a body, then our bodies are not redeemed. If Jesus didn't have a will, then our wills are not redeemed. And you can see this logic play out in Hebrews 2. Look at the passage that are there under, under number five. Since, therefore, children share in flesh and blood, that's us, he himself likewise partook of the same things, flesh and blood. Why? That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. See, there's some things that God cannot do as God by himself. As God by himself, he cannot die a human death. He needs to be a human in order to die a human death, right? Right? So in order to, and here's another thing God cannot do by himself. He cannot be an obedient human. He has to actually be a human in order to be an obedient human. And so Christ must have a full humanity, including a human will. He must be able to die in order to conquer him who has the power of death. He must go through death. And in order to die, he has to be a human. So the answer to your question, the answer to this question, is Christ must have two wills. He must have a divine will, the the will that he gets from the son who eternally wants what God wants. He wants his creation back. He wants you. He wants all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. The eternal divine will that is itself love. He has that and is that. And at the same time, he has a human will. He wants what humans want, like food. Who wants food? It's not past noon yet. Who wants to go to sleep? Sometimes. Some of you already maybe are. Who wants, well, to to do what you believe is right? You have rational desires too. To to see the world and think, I shouldn't walk in front of that car, I'm not going to do it, right? You have just rational desires that come from your senses. You also have a desire not to die. These desires, desire to avoid pain, right? To not be in pain. No, All those desires are good. They're part of what it means to be human. Adam had a desire not to stub his toe. Those are okay. There's nothing wrong with desiring to eat, with desiring to stay alive, with desiring to avoid torture, right? Jesus had those desires too. Jesus didn't want to experience pain. He wanted to eat when he was hungry, he wanted to drink when he was thirsty. Why? Because he's fully human. And this is really important because if this isn't true, if Jesus didn't really have these human desires, then all the stories of temptation are a complete sham. Jesus wasn't really tempted because he couldn't possibly want something that wasn't already God's will. But if we go back to the, the story of the temptations of Jesus, when I mean, the devil tempts Jesus, you find the devil uses all those human desires I just mentioned to pit, to try to, he's unsuccessful, to try to pit Jesus against God. Think about food. Jesus is human. He wants food. He wants a full belly. He fasts for 40 days, and the text says he was hungry. So what does the devil do? He comes to Jesus and says, if you're truly God command these stones to become bread, right? He's appealing to a real good human desire of Jesus to have a full belly and trying to set it against God's will. Jesus doesn't take it. But Jesus also has rational desires, the desire to know and to understand, right? And so the devil takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple and says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down and God will prove it by saving you with his angels, right? You can know for a fact. You can have rational understanding and knowledge But God says, I will not test. Jesus says, I will not test the Lord my God. But then that good old desire to not die, that sensory desire to stay alive, to avoid torture and pain, that's the devil's last temptation, the third one, and the one he does again in Gethsemane. Because he takes Jesus up, shows him all the kingdoms of the world, which is what he was sent to redeem, by the way, and says, you can have it all if you worship me. In other words, you can have what you came for without the pain and suffering. You can have what you came for without dying. You just have to worship me. You can have your good human desire to avoid pain without the anguish. But Jesus says, No, not my will, but thine. That's what goes on in the Garden of Gethsemane. His soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. Why? Because he knows he's literally about to be tortured to death, he knows he's about to be betrayed. He knows he's about to be whipped and beaten. He knows he's about to have placed on him the entire sin and misery and darkness and shame and violence and anguish and everything that's awful placed upon him. He knows, he sees it coming and his human nature says, yikes, that I don't want that. Father, if it be your will, can we, can we go another route? He literally says that because his human will says, no, I don't want to be tortured. I don't want to die. Life is good and I want it. But he doesn't go with that simple desire. He goes with his another human desire. The desire to be obedient to his father. This is what's really important. And if you get nothing else out of today, this is point eight. Jesus' obedience is truly and fully human obedience. Human obedience. That is, it's not his divine nature that overrides his human nature. It's his human nature that says, okay, yeah, pain and suffering, I don't like that. Nevertheless, thy will be done, Father. I am obeying and following you. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but you, thine be done. Why is this so important that his human nature be obedient? Because if God's going to redeem the world... Where he made human beings king and queen, he has to have an obedient human being. And that's what he has in Jesus. None of us, none of us could do this. None of us could actually fix creation by our obedience. We fall short of it all the time. Our nature always is going to say at one point, my will be done, God, not yours. Maybe we'll go along with it a little bit, but at the end of the day, we're going to protect ours. We're going to protect ourselves. We're going to protect the people we love and the things we want. And we will sacrifice God's will and what he wants for us to what we want. Left to ourselves, there would be no obedient human being. But Jesus, as a human being, perfectly follows the will of his Father. He is obedient unto death. He's obedient unto death. And that means that the gospel really has two really important parts that we need to see. We, we say, and rightly so, we talk about the forgiveness of sins. That is, we, through breaking God's world, incur a debt. And Jesus pays that debt through his suffering and death. That's true. That's really important. And we should sing and praise a lot about that. But that's actually not the full story. The full story is that through his active human obedience, he was a perfect human being. And he does all the good works you owe God as his good creature. And all those good works that Jesus did are given to you as a gift through faith. This is why the gospel is not, Jesus paid your debt, now you go be who God called you to be and and, and earn this. No, Jesus already earned it. Jesus already did everything, which means he suffered your punishment, but he also bore your obedience. And your active obedience, your righteousness, your sanctification, everything that makes you a right and whole human being, all of that is a gift given to you through faith something that you receive not by doing it, but by believing that Christ has done it for you. So are there two wills in Jesus? Absolutely. One divine, born from an eternal love that is the beginning and fire of all things, and one human that was everything you were called to be but are not and is given to you as a gift because his human will desired to save you. His divine will desired to save you. His human will desired and followed what his God and his Father had made to choose the good that you could not choose, to right the wrongs that you could not fix, to resist the evil that you could not resist, and to pay the debt that you owed for breaking God's good world. And he did it all freely. Freely. Because he wanted you. Because he desired you because he loves you. Amen. Now may the peace that passes all understanding guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ, our God and our Lord. This has been a message from Emmaus Church LCMS. We thank you for listening, and we invite you to find out more by visiting our website at www.emmauspasco.org. That's wwwe